welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. My name is Jay Dostal, author of the book Own Your Epic, Leadership Lessons in Owning Your Voice and Your Story. In this podcast, I highlight the stories and voices of educators across the country who are making a difference in schools and uncover what makes them exceptional leaders in their field. By sharing the voices and stories of others, we can all learn to appreciate that each of us is the author of our own epic and our experiences are relatable to others, if we are willing to share them. Let's get started on the Own Your Epic process. Welcome to the Own Your Epic podcast. This is Jay Dostal, and it's a pretty cool day here today that uh, we get to have this guest on the Own Your Epic podcast. I've gotten to know her over the past year as a colleague of mine, uh, even though she's leaving me, but uh, she's going off to do some bigger and better things. But I'm really excited for you to uh, to hear her story because I think you can learn a lot from it. Uh, but I'm not going to do the introduction. I'm going to have her do the introduction. So why don't you tell us who you are and a little bit about yourself? Yes. All right. So um, I'm Brittany Hodges Volkovac. I'm an educator um, in Nebraska. Uh, currently working at Omaha Westside, but we'll be transitioning to Lincoln Public Schools here in the fall as the uh, Director of Equity, Inclusion, and Diversity. Um, and yeah, just excited to be on here to hear your line of questioning to see if what I have to say is worthy for fellow educators to listen to. <laughs> well, come on now. I already know it's worthy. It's, it's just we're going to go down a lot of different rabbit holes. And I do yeah. have a question uh, after this next one about... Uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, because yeah. that's the role you're stepping into. But for that, I want to know and want you to tell everybody, you know, why why education? Why do you want to become an educator in the first place? Yeah, so um, education is my secondary career. This is not the first. Um, I actually, when I graduated from um, college, worked at a call center uh, for uh, a cellular company. And I got tired of hearing grown people get upset with me because they couldn't do the math on their cell phone bill and wonder why their overage charges of going to Africa were astronomical numbers. And so I finally said, this is not meant for me. Um, I think there's a better something better out there. So I went back and pursued my education degree. Um, and so I've been in the teaching field now for about 10 years, education field. And I think for me, what drew me to that, obviously not just getting yelled at on the phone and hung up by customers, um, but I think when I think about the individuals who helped me help steer my life in different directions, they were all educators from my guidance counselor to my coach to um, my club leader to my world history teacher. They were all pivotal people um, and they all had one thing in common. They were educators and, and granted I was around them more than I was around my family, right? I'm there from seven in the morning until six o'clock at night, seven o'clock at night if I was doing athletics or any activities. Um, and so those were the people who I was spending most of my time with who ultimately shaped and really believed in um, something beyond high school for me. What were your endorsed areas? Um, so yeah, so I am endorsed in ELA, ELL, World Language, and then now my admin degree. How did you come by the? I mean, that's kind of a unique. Yeah, we. Well, you know, I think they're all, all linguistic, right? And yeah. so, um, you know, I think with with English, um, you know, grammar, I I, I tend to. Uh, people say code switch back in the day, but I, I adapt to my, my areas. And I think that 
Um, you know, if you've even seen when I, I met it in a paper, you're going to have all the red marks up on it. Um, but I think helping someone be able to broaden their horizons and interact with people. So when I taught um, world language, I taught Spanish for eighth grade students, sixth through eighth grade students, and seeing them at the beginning of the year not know anything about that language. And then at the end of the year, they would have friends who were Spanish speaking and being able to have conversation or walking down the hallway and being able to pick up on things they were hearing in the hallway um, for me was like rewarding. And so I've always had a love for Spanish. I tell people I'm not fluent I know enough to survive if I were ever go to a, a country that spoke Spanish but I think just being able to bridge that connection allow people another avenue or outlet to speak with people um, ELL is my endorsement also and so you have individuals who have no idea about the English language and so finding common commonalities whether I pick up something and we understand that whether I use my hands to signal something just finding a way to communicate really is gonna open doors for people and so that's why um, I chose those those areas so as you were as you were talking about those different things, referencing back to your previous answer about uh, code switching and that sort yeah. of thing, how much of that plays a role in what you're doing now mm -hmm. and in teaching kids a different language? And because I, I think everybody has to learn the mm -hmm. ability to code switch based yeah. on the environment they're in. Mm -hmm. How did that be? Like, does that does that help you in the in the teaching process with both students and adults? Yeah, so I was at a, a seminar a while ago and they said, don't say code switching. Like, I'm, you can tell how old school a person is if they say code switching. They truly, like what they say now is like, you're, um, what is it? You're adapting yourself based on your environment. I think for me, um, being a woman of color, who is somebody who grew up, you know, I tell people, um, I have a white mom who raised black children, right? So my mom is a, a Midwestern white woman uh, who raised children who by outwardly, uh, for all, all intents and purposes, they, I, I look like I'm a black woman. That's what people see me as. They don't know my mom is a white person. And so when I went to family functions, I'm around white people. Um, but if I'm in another demographic, I'm not seen as that that white person and so I think rather than say code switching I've been able to adapt with my surroundings and I think I've been very fortunate um, I've always um, lived in areas that have been very diverse I'm very intentional with where I shop at to make sure that's diverse just because I never want to be that person who's in a room and I don't have anyone who I can connect with and communicate with so when it comes to education um, relationship relationships are very huge to me it's, it, anyone will tell you like I base a lot of my stuff off of the relationships um, and I think by being able to be adaptable to your surroundings adaptable to knowing um, who you're working with who you're around what level they're on right I never want someone to feel like I'm talking over them um, I want to feel like you know them to believe I'm at their level um, but I'm also encouraging them to rise and, and be a better version of themselves and so I think with education, whether it's language, whether it's working with the colleagues, whether it's you know with my own family, I, I now see where they say you're adapting um, because you want to make sure that you can be your best version of yourself when you're in these situations and not limit yourself based off of you know code switching or not being able to relate to a person because you don't have that linguistic um, match with them. So I learned something new. I, I'm going to try to avoid using code switching yeah. now. I'll use adapting. So. Talk to me a little bit about your adaptation into mm -hmm. the different environments that yeah. you've been in, including the one now where it's, you know, I mean, we're diverse, but we're not mm -hmm. that diverse. We're primarily white. Yeah. Our district has been primarily white for a long time. Mm -hmm. I'm a white male, and I feel like I don't want to throw around, because this isn't a, a political uh, commentary or anything, but, uh, you know, I think the 
the point that I'm trying to get is how how do what's your best suggestion or your best advice for people of all colors to mm-hmm. learn how to adapt to the changing environment yeah. they they are in without being labeled as woke or something <laughs> oh, like that. The infamous term woke. <laughs> um, you know, I think it's, you know, we're educators, we're lifelong learners. And, and even if you're not an educator, you should challenge yourself to learn something. And so I think asking versus assuming is huge. A lot of times, um, you know, I tell people, if you, if you don't have someone to ask, pick up a book. Um, there's, you know, we're in the technology age where you can read a blog, you can, you know, find anything at the tip of your fingers. Um, but I think what truly is beneficial for a person is um, surrounding yourself and putting yourself in situations that are going to challenge you. So, for example, you know, I, again, I'm a black presenting woman outwardly, and I remember the first time I got braids done and I came to work. And never in my professional career um, in education have I ever had braids in my hair. And now at, you know, 37, I um, was like, you know what, forget that. I want to wear my hair braids and not have to wake up early and do my hair. I'm commuting an hour. And so I got braids done. And I remember I came to school and, you know, it was interesting. Um, the responses, right? Some were like, you know, we still have individuals who want to touch my hair. And so that was a nice little educational piece for them. Like, no, you cannot. <laughs> you can look from a distance. But then I had young black students who loved that my hair was done and thought that it was so cool because they have not seen teachers um, do that. You know, I think we have other other um, teachers of color here this year who have worn their hair in braids and different hairstyles, and I think that kind of speaks to um, the change that Westside has, um, where, again, it's not the Westside I knew it was 20 years ago. You have um, staff of color who feel like they can come as they are. You have staff of other identities who feel like they can come as they are. Um, but I think for me, it, I don't, like I said, I, I adapt to the students I'm working with because if I'm talking over the students, they're not going to understand me. If I'm working with colleagues who I know might have a different opinion than me or just might not be experienced in something and it's no fault to their own, maybe they grew up in a rural part of Nebraska or a rural part of somewhere and so they've never really had um, a colleague of color or, um, you know, engaged with someone to the extent of now every day you're working with me. I don't take that as a fault to them. I use those as experiences to explain things to them. Um, and I think it's all about how you word things, how you come at things. I have, you know, thick skin, another term that people hate to, to throw out there, but I'm somebody who I would rather be the person who um, has these conversations. So down the line, another person who's not prepared can't have that conversation or feels uncomfortable having that conversation. And I think that's part of the adapting. I've been able to move her through, maneuver through so many different um, situations and so many different positions in life that it has really allowed me to navigate when I'm talking to a, a group of older men or if I'm talking to a group of younger students or younger colleagues. It just really has gave me the skill set of knowing, oh, read your audience, right? This is who I'm working with. Okay, now I need to use words that they're going to be familiar with. Now I need to turn it on. And it's not changing who I am, but it's me reading the room and knowing how do I want to get my message across and if I'm going to be savvy about it so they're walking out here with more information than they had coming in. Do you think your days of working in the call center helped you with the adaptability? <laughs> just based on, I can just yeah. imagine, because I remember doing inbound and outbound uh-huh. uh, uh telemarketing when uh-huh. I was in high school and I could tell just by the tone of voice of the other person on the other end of the line mm-hmm. and you know were they angry they were upset yeah. and you just having to do a complete mind switch like how are you going to yeah. 
navigate? Do you think that that helped you in learning how I mean, to be adaptable? You know, I think knowing, you know, wireless companies, everybody has a cell phone, like a lot of people. And so I could tell accents real quick, right? And you can, you know, I learned different area codes and whatnot. Um, but a lot of people, you know, call centers, call centers, oh my goodness, those are a whole other thing. I, I was joking with someone telling them that the first call center job I had, we were so cheap, the company was so cheap, they ripped pages out of phone books. And we would call people to sell them newspapers out of a phone book, right? And so it wasn't even like a digitized thing. We literally ripped out page number 105 and we had to go through with a red mark and that's how we solicited people. Um, but I think a call center definitely it prepares you because you never know what's on the other end of the phone, right? Um, you know, when I say hello with my, you know, auto-generated, thank you for calling X, Y, and Z, this is Brittany. You know, I never knew if the person was gonna be mad and so I was always just waiting. Um, but I think of something else that work in a call center that, that has been beneficial to me is rather than reacting, responding. And I think a lot of times as educators, we want to be the person who has that, that answer. We want to immediately respond to something, um, but in turn, we're actually reacting. We're coming from a place of emotion. We're not logically thinking through things because we are so passionate about it, so we want to have that immediacy with our feedback. Um, but from a call center perspective, I would say it taught me to respond, listen, more patience. Like younger Brittany, I had no patience. Like I was the instantaneous, need immediate you know, feedback, but now I'm like, huh. How can we reflect on that? And I, I don't think it has to be something where you go home. Like I can hear someone say something in a room and I can tell what where they're coming from. How do I need to come to that person or how do I need to engage with that person? So I would say that would be the one benefit of a call center. Uh, cheaper health insurance is another benefit. But <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. well, so so taking that and then going into you know this uh, this new role that you're mm -hmm. going to be working in with uh, you know diversity, equity, inclusion, which yeah. apparently everybody affiliates with CRT. If mm -hmm. you get into a political yeah. uh, conversation, you and I have had this conversation yeah. as well. Um, you know, one, I think I shared this with you before that, you know, I remember going through my first training uh, in Fayetteville on diversity, equity, and inclusion. And of course, uh, the presenter, African-American male was presenting all mm -hmm. of this, uh, this research and all of the, you know, the history of education mm -hmm. um, and you know as I'm sitting there I'm feeling awful as you know the system was built for a person like me yeah. a white male mm -hmm. and you know as as he's going through and I'm, I'm thinking about the uh, the lack of access to education and all of that stuff and then finally I just raised my hand because you know me I'm just gonna say something mm -hmm. I said it's hard not to, as a white male it's hard for me not to feel bad yeah. about all of this stuff mm -hmm. that has taken place and he looked me right in the eye and he said you don't feel bad just do better yeah because this, this wasn't done by you, mm -hmm. but you have an opportunity to be a change agent and move forward. And I think that's where this conversation, uh, you know, nationally is maybe skewing off into the wrong direction. And mm -hmm. so I wanted to ask you that as someone who's walking into a new role where, you know, you're going to be talking about DEI mm -hmm. on on the daily, yeah. and you might might encounter some people who don't want to listen they would mm -hmm. rather just respond or react yeah and how how you gonna how, how do you how do you and you do that role right here right now in mm -hmm. in some how do you navigate those waters and what 
what gives you the confidence and the skill set to be able to do it so well? Because you do it very well. Yeah. You know, I think um, there's a gentleman named Keith Brown. I think we, we spoke. I used to have posters in my, my office about him. But he um, is bear, very big on, you know, just what you said, like, um, you're you're a, a white male sitting in a, a, an assembly or a, a staff development, a professional development training, and you start to feel bad. And what he has always said, and which I have taken to heart, is don't feel bad because as educators, I think about this, like, if I'm teaching history and we're talking about slavery, if I'm teaching history, we're talking about, you know, um, civil war, civil rights. What I feel like history fails to mention is there were some solid white folks who really held it down and were doing the sit-ins. And even during like civil war times, there were abolitionists who were wanting to free slaves. And, and so when we're talking about this, we have the power as educators to Yes, lay out all the facts. And it's not political, it's not if you're right, if you're left. It's these are real people who really existed. But what we have to do as educators and what we owe to our students is do the extra research just like we expect our students to do. So yes, you can tell me all the time about, you know, slave trading and um, you know, civil rights movements and, and you see the people who are like the poster people of these things. But what history and and this is what's so frustrating for me sometimes is they fail to acknowledge that there were white people who were sitting alongside the black people or these these people who were being um, mistreated who were you know fighting the good fight with them or who were helping them escape slavery that always seems to be nowhere in a history book and I and I think about um, again we have to challenge ourselves to dig deeper as lifelong learners because we owe it to our students I never want a student in my class or a student you know on the admin side to come to me and say they feel bad for something because again they did not do it right they could be living their best life a family you know that's welcoming they have all friends of all different nationalities don't feel bad like you said do better but also maybe research people from your lineage that perhaps were helping on the other side right because the, I, we always focus on the small number of people who are doing bad and we fail to mention individuals who are actually doing right and so you know you have your do right rules and I, I so you know I think that we have to truly look at who the good ones are and stop giving so much stock into the bad when it comes to history um, for me as somebody who's with DEI and I think working at Westside um, they have been very big on belonging and you know I, I told a friend I said when a kid is removed from even their home for you know ungodly circumstances, they still are expected to go to school. So we need to be the constant for students. And so I think, um, as again, as educators, as, as me, when a student comes in here, they should not feel like there's not a space for them because at the end of the day, we are the constant for students. And so I'm sure I'll get a lot of concerned people um, that are you know gonna question if we're doing CRT or if you know there's a, a message being put out that they don't agree with um, but working at Westside I've really put in perspective of at the end of the day how can you question if a student doesn't have a space where they belong right right like we're setting them up with the tools I'm not saying that what they're being taught is 100% right but we're supposed to be thought provokers we're supposed to be the people that are sparking that flame in a student to want to go find their own path you know because in 20 years these are going to be the CEOs of companies the people making decisions a principal of a school um, and I think things really come full circle but it's how can we equip our students with the tools at the same time how can we ensure to our our patrons our parents our taxpayers that no we're not pushing a narrative on students we're giving them all the facts we're allowing them uh, to figure out which way their mind is going to go.
and I think that's hard for some people because they expect us well, to do yeah, one there's, thing. Well, yeah, there's that, there's that notion that uh, schools are teaching kids what to think. Well, no, we're not yeah. teaching them what to think. We're teaching them how to think so yes. that they can make those there's decisions. There's a big difference, there's what a, and how. People, there's there's people a huge yeah. difference. And I think uh, something else that was interesting that you had brought up is, you know, where was this outrage? Like, schools aren't the first ones to come up with DEI initiatives. Right. Like, there are corporations around the country mm-hmm. who have DEI yeah. CEOs in all, like mm-hmm. Walmart, for example, they've got a director of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Yeah. Walmart's an international company. Whether you agree or disagree with their politics, mm-hmm. they feel like they need to have that aspect in their yeah. corporation for them to be successful. And so mm-hmm. schools are kind of looking the exact same way. I do. So I've got, I've got to ask you this just because I think that it's, uh, it's an interesting point about where we have where we have come as educators and it it Mm -hmm. kind of goes back to that whole issue of belonging Mm because you know as you and i have talked about on multiple occasions if you feel like you belong somewhere you're you're going to want to be there yeah for sure if you don't feel like you belong you're probably not going to hang around those people and i you know i have to commend you for your work this year and specifically with like our community walks and going Mm -hmm. to different areas of omaha that you know there are a lot of people who want to just stay in their bubble and they don't want to experience those things and um you know it was and i'm a product of this school i grew up in this town there were places that i went this year that you had set up it's Mm like oh my gosh this is really cool i had no idea that this was out there where do you find the joy in that? Where's, where's, because you know it's all about joy. And I mean, do you have that sense of belonging? Does do your does your sense of belonging grow as you set up these community walks and these events? You know, for me with the the walks, now I have to give credit. Um, I came and the the locations were already picked out. I'm just the person that knows how to get the party started. So I'm gonna get people there, right? Now, though, this year I actually, you guys will have some awesome ones. Even though I'm leaving, I actually spent the summer um, setting up three more for next year. So you guys will have some You can tell ones. me what they are or I might have to wait? Oh, no, I can tell you. Um, so you guys are gonna be touring um, the Tri-Faith. Uh, oh, nice. Tri-Faith Initiative, you guys will be participating in And for those of you who don't know, the Tri-Faith Initiative is this really cool thing in Omaha, Nebraska, where you actually have a mosque, a synagogue, and a Catholic church all on the same campus. It's phenomenal. I'm glad you're able to get so that set up. you guys are going to do that, and you're going to, um, well, I'll be up here for it, but you're going to participate in, like, their walk um, towards um, equality and all that good belonging. Um, and then you're going to, um, I set up the Samuel Bach um, learning center. Samuel Bach is a Holocaust survivor um, who expresses himself through painting. So UNO has a whole museum dedicated to him. So they're going to have that. And then the final one that you guys are going to go to is the uh, One World uh, Community Health Centers in their original campus, um, which has so much to offer the community. And so that's just kind of, again, bringing awareness to the services for our students. Um, but for the, for the enjoyment, I think for me, it's when I see the lights go off for people. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not from North Omaha. Um, I had family that grew up in North Omaha. And so uh, I hear a lot of um, commentary, stereotypes. I mean, what the news puts out. Um, and you know, at one point, North Omaha was very vibrant. A lot of stuff was happening down there. Like it was, like you think of Kansas City Jazz, Omaha was what that was um, prior to, you know, the, the separation and whatnot. Um, but when I when we did the community walk down there at the Great Plains Black History Museum and having people come in, I think that was our, our most 
attended, well attended event and having people A, on a side of town they've never been to, right? And I, anytime I jokingly tell people about North Omaha, they usually talk about two things. Time out chicken, because the chicken is just so amazing. It is good. And, <laughs> and then they might have gone down to the airport, right? They're driving through. Those right. are literally like the two things that people say about North Omaha. And I think maybe five or 10 people said, out of the whole crowd, that was their first time ever being to the museum. And then once you get in the museum, you see so much history of what Omaha used to look like um, for blacks in North Omaha. And it, it's really eye-opening because again, you, you see what's on the news, you hear you know different, um, you know, people's different opinions, but until you're actually in that area, it's like, oh, well, this isn't what I thought it was, or look what this once was. And then you start to delve into why it no longer is thriving the way it is, why are we doing revitalization projects and whatnot. But also that's a community, a part of the community that we serve here at Westside, right? You know, for, for people on, on who are listening, like we bus in students that come down and you know, if you're from Nebraska, you say down north, but people who come from North Omaha, um, and it's a demographic that 20 years ago it didn't mirror, and we didn't serve that uh, right. level of demographic. So having the teachers, the staff, families go down and see an area of town that serves a, a large part of our, our students, I think for me was like, you know, it was, it was that was my reward because now they're knowledgeable and now they can push a narrative off on the next person by word of mouth of, oh, you know, I did go down to Omaha and, oh, did you go get the Time Out Chicken? No, I actually went to the Great Plains Black History Museum and, oh, did you know the, the, the Omaha Star was right across the street? So making those connections, I think for me is where the reward is. Um, and again, just seeing people move through and, and take a piece of knowledge with yeah. them that they can pass on to the next person. That was probably my favorite community walk yeah. this, this year. Um, one, I got to learn more about the Divine Nine mm -hmm. sororities and fraternities, which was which cool, shout out which, to Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated. There you go, there you go. <laughs> um, but no, it, it it was cool because uh, I don't know if a lot of people understand the history of Omaha uh, because it's still fighting this yeah. image as well. Omaha, Nebraska, if you're not familiar, is a very segregated city. Mm -hmm. There are different parts of the community for different uh, races and ethnicities. Mm -hmm. You know, North Omaha is typically African American. South Omaha is typically Hispanic. West Omaha is typically your your white, or where they say white flight. And mm -hmm. I think it's coming to uh, grips as a community to understand that, um, you know, over time it has come to this. But it doesn't have to stay that way. I mean, mm -hmm. we can. We're all one community, and want to make sure yeah. that we feel like we belong in these different things. And I think that's the the work that you did this year, just within Westside, to open up people's eyes, um, was was really impactful. And I'm looking forward to next year. And I hope that you know when you have those opportunities in Lincoln, that uh, I'll be able to come and see some of those because I want to yeah. I want to learn more about Lincoln too because well, it's got its own history as well. It'll, so it'll be you know I, I think about um, the cultural fair, right? And so first ever first annual cultural multicultural fair we had here we had I think 20 different identities represented mm -hmm. um, but bringing in and again for those of you listening who don't know what a drill team is um, it's predominantly present at HBCUs historically black college universities and it's almost like the dance team of it I mean it is their dance team their form of dance team um, and I remember we had the drill team here and I did not know the reception that it was going to be having the drill team come because you know, it's Westside. Like we don't have a drill team. We're you know we're trying to get a, a step team started for this next year. Um, but I remember standing back um, and watching the crowd. And again, it's 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 entertaining to me. But you could look through the crowd from left to right at the bleachers, and you could see kind of like it was 
indifferent, right? So you had people that were like loving it. Some people were like, what is happening right now? And some people who were just enjoying the moment. Um, but I think doing things like that, it brings awareness. When I posted it on my page, I had so many people like, what? You guys brought a drill team to Westside? Like they couldn't believe that Westside was having a drill team in the main gym, dancing, you know, and it's like they're doing what is traditional to HBCU. So even something like that brain awareness, because those are people that didn't attend the community walk and we had like 700 people. So that's 700 people that while they didn't come to a community walk, they're learning about a culture simply by attending an event. And I think the, the hardest part sometimes is getting people there to open their eyes. Like I wasn't worried about if people were going to enjoy this thing. It's like, I was more concerned about, can we get people in the door? Yeah. Because the event's gonna sell itself once you get in the door. Well, the food sold it. I mean, that was, that was a win I mean, too, that was, that, was, that was solid. And, and, and I think <laughs> also just to kind of tag along with that too, uh, because we've talked a lot about, um, you know, when we talk about Great Plains African American History Museum and we talk about mm -hmm. drill teams. This multicultural fair was more than just highlighting African-American yeah, culture. I mean, we had Chinese, we had yep. Taiwan, we had Middle East, we had we had uh, a Chinese dragon dance team come out. I mean, it was it was phenomenal. And uh, we had uh, LGBTQ plus, uh, LGBTQIA plus. And I think it speaks to, because I think there is also a misperception out there that when you talk about diversity, equity, inclusion, you're just talking about African-Americans. Oh yeah, that's, that, that's a given. And I think even, you know, any, and people have to understand, DEI is typically any marginalized group or someone who does not have the main voice in the room. So you could even say, you know, here, here is something dedicated towards single parents. That's a diversity and equity initiative right there. If we're doing something towards single parents, those could be all types of colors and you're still benefiting right. a, a subgroup of people you could you know you could say this is a group of um, young adult something if they're not the the majority in the room at that point you're the minority so you're going to how can we make this person this voice that is often not heard these people who don't often feel like they have a space and it's more than just racial and i think that's what a lot of times why it's a hot button for people is because they assume it's race-based but there is so much diversity in again um ada right disability religion um you know ethnicity are you a single person are you an educated person are you a person who is only um you know maybe you only graduated high school you never pursued something maybe you're somebody who attends a two-year college so there's so much in diversity it's how are you looking at it Right, you could sit in a room full of people and say, "All the redheads come over here." Okay, then everybody who has red hair, they come over here, and there's five of them. Okay, well now you are a marginalized group because you are not with the majority. And so I think it's really, again, to your point, it's not solely race. I think a lot of people focus on that because that's like the low-hanging fruit. It's the easiest thing to help rule something out. And so to the cultural fair, we had all types of religions, ethnicities, um, we had gender identity groups. And so again, trying to be as diverse because we really want a depiction of what's represented here at Westside. And it's not just a black and white thing. It's so many different nationalities, origins, where people come from, what they identify with by choice, um, what they identify with by birth. I mean, I think there's so much that, that again, low-hanging fruit, people usually nitpick at the um, the racial part. Man, I told you this is gonna go fast. We're at 30 minutes already. <laughs> but, uh, did you get through all your questions? I, I didn't, but uh -huh. I think that uh, everything that you had shared is exactly what I wanted yeah. you to share because, um, you know, I've, I've had the opportunity to get to know you. I think you're a wonderful person. Well, thank you. You're brilliant. And I just don't think a lot of people 
uh, necessarily want to take the time to get to know people mm-hmm. at that level or understand what their expertise are because yeah. um, you know when I first met you I was like man I'm gonna click with her because we are both focused on this we're very direct mm-hmm. and I think that uh, we don't mince words or anything yeah. like that and then as we continue to work together and as you and I've had conversations that has the thing that I've learned most is like as a white male mm-hmm. when I'm direct and to the point and don't mince words it's mm-hmm. viewed one way yeah. but Ooh. as a woman of color who's direct <laughs> and doesn't mince words yeah. it looks something completely different mm-hmm. and just being able to uh, have those conversations with you and I mean I've shared with you that like the the best book that I ever read it was the toughest read I've ever had was White Fragility mm-hmm. that you know you know, I've always been allowed to look at things from an individual level. Yeah. Uh, I've never been lumped into a giant group. Mm-hmm. And whereas some of our marginalized communities get lumped into groups. Yeah. And I think that's where all the disconnect is. But uh, I think this has been the probably second most powerful year in terms of learning and growing yeah. that I've ever had in my years in education and a lot of that is a credit to you oh, because of the you. work no, that you've too done. Much. Thank you. I'm just appreciative honestly that you are willing to listen. Um, public thank you here. I think I tell people you took a chance on me right and you know I was applying for jobs and everyone said I needed to have a different level of admin experience and so you took the chance on me so I want to thank you. You always were a shoulder where if I needed to um, bounce something off you. You were very receptive to it and I appreciate if you did not know something you still had an open viewpoint and so I think that as you're transitioning into year two I think you know we've, we've discussed this be very mindful of that because yeah. as the leader people are going to follow your lead and you're sometimes going to be in rooms where people are thinking what you're thinking but they are not going to use their voice and yeah. so continue to encourage people and, and sometimes read that room and say the things that Brittany might have said because I'm no longer in that room <laughs> and that might get some people to you know start start speaking up but no I definitely think you have a presence here where students I think can see it I think you know leadership changes are sometimes tough I don't think it was an easy one this year Um, restructuring the whole admin team but you still came in with a a sense of where you wanted to get this building how you needed to build your staff and I think it it really is resonating so I want to thank you for you are too kind. You are too kind. We're good teammates, and we'll uh, continue to be good teammates and colleagues and friends in long haul. Even though Absolutely. you're going to a rival school, we're Facebook official now. Jay. There you we're go. Facebook. <laughs> so, how, if people want to know more about you, what's the best way to connect with you, or uh, you know, if you're, I, it, so you're. For me, it's social media. People can connect through yeah. me with social media. But um, if they want to learn more more about DEI or get different ideas from you, uh, how, how would you suggest that they get, get in touch with you? You know, I am always available. I tell people I am one phone call away or a tweet away. Um, I oh, so my, what's your, yeah, what's your Twitter handle? I had to put my Twitter handle. Look, I finally got a Twitter <laughs> this last year. It is at Bolkovac402, and that's B-O-L-K-O-V-A-C 402. I have 85 followers. Um, so, yes, yeah, so like always there. I will be employed, like I said, at Lincoln Public Schools. Um, so you could find me on there. But um, Or if you're on Facebook, I mean, you guys, Brittany Hodges is my 
my name on there. But yeah, That's I'd awesome. say either either one of those. I'm around. They can always message you. You know how to find me. One well, we're gonna we're gonna do our best to get your followers up on Twitter a yeah. little bit. By <laughs> so uh, follow at Bulkovac four zero two on Twitter. Uh, Brittany, thank you so much for taking the time. Thanks this is this me. is awesome. And uh, for all of you out there, thank you for joining in on this episode of the Own Your Epic podcast. Uh, for more information on Own Your Epic, head over to ownyourepic.blogspot.com where you can pick up a copy of the book and see past episodes uh, or listen to past episodes of the podcast. Until next time, take care, everybody. Thank you for joining me on today's podcast. To find out more about Own Your Epic, check out my website at ownyourepic.blogspot.com where you can purchase my book or subscribe to all the latest blog and podcast updates. Until next time, own your epic and share your voice and your story. It matters and can make a difference in the lives of others.